0: Thank you, Andrew. good morning everybody. Morning. How are we all? Sure. Good. Do you feel that sometimes your whole world is turned upside down? Just this morning, says Tricia. <laughs> Suddenly she's had to move chairs. We were praying earlier out the back here in preparation for the service, and we were just um, I think it was Rosemary that started it off. We're praying about sometimes the world is upside down. Sometimes <laughs> it isn't as, um, as we would like. I think she was reflecting a little bit on the refugee crisis and a little bit on the, the earthquakes that have um, struck various regions over the past 24, 48 hours. <coughs> Phil, by the way, is going around with Bibles. If you wish to have a Bible, grab him now. I know on such a sunny day, not an ice cream and stuff, but you can have a Bible. Sometimes our world is a bit like that. Sometimes we have a situation where we think we've got it all sorted, and then something happens. The elders turn the service upside down. We don't know whether we're coming or going. The children don't know whether they're in or out. We'll get used to it, I'm sure. I don't know about you, but I like to know what's going on. I'm um, a bit like my grandmother, actually we used to call her Nan. She always wanted to know what was going on. She was a bit of a curtain twitcher. She lived in a cul-de-sac, she was I think number six, number eight, something like that, in this little cul-de-sac of bungalows, perfect for her because she used to see everything coming and going as she sat in her front window. And when you went to see her, she would report on the happenings that week and uh, some of the yet unsolved mysteries that have occurred in this cul-de-sac. She wanted to know what was going on. She was the sort of person that when she read a Who's Done It novel would never actually get all the way through to the end without turning to the back page to work out Who's Done It. We all knew as family that we couldn't deliver Christmas presents too early because she'd want to know what was in that wrapping. So we'd always deliver it on Christmas Eve, knowing full well that by midnight on Christmas Eve, they'd all be open. That was Nan. That's what she did. Sometimes we're a bit like that. We want to know what's going on. So I thought this morning as um, we look at this sermon that I would turn it completely upside down. I'm going to give you the ending first. Well, as soon as we've done the sermon first, we may as well start at the end and work backwards. So here's the ending. Just so you know what's on the last page. With Jesus, all are welcome. All can be free. All things are possible in his kingdom. We all need his gospel, and that should be our focus. Nothing should get in the way of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Should we get on with the singing and go home? No, we need to turn to his word. If you live in a turbulent world, if you live in a world that you feel is constantly being turned upside down, there is one place that you can go which will bring absolute right way upness, and that is the word of God. So let's turn to it together. We're in Luke uh, 13, page 1046, I think it was. I've written 1040, but I think it's 1046. I've got the thumbs up from the back. Just to put this into context, the last week, last week we are also looking at Luke uh, 13, but we topped and tailed Luke 13, and we missed a huge portion, verses 10 to 30 in the middle. That's where we are this morning. Just to remind you, uh, last week, um, what did we learn? We learned that um, we need, uh, God is looking for fruit. Remember the fig tree that we looked at last week? We also learned that people needed to know Jesus. We need to share the gospel of the good news of Jesus and that we also need the work of the gardener, that is Jesus, in our own lives. So let's read this passage uh, this morning together, Luke 13 and starting at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put her hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stool and lead it out to give it water? Then should this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what has bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the whole dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you've come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and, tr- and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you have come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be a weeping there and a gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who will be last who will be first, and first who will be last a passage! It was an ordinary day in the synagogue. Nothing unusual with this particular Sabbath day, and Jesus was there teaching. In walks this woman. She probably didn't want to pay, you know, give too much, draw too much attention to herself because she was probably despised <coughs> by the synagogue leaders. She would have probably slipped in last, maybe at the back discreet, shuffling in. Probably couldn't even see Jesus' face. She was so bent over double. But Jesus sees her. He calls her and he touches her. 18 years. 18 years a debilitating spirit. She's probably been coming to the temple 18 years in the same way. And she's come to hear Jesus teach. She's there in the temple courts and Jesus notices her. Notice that it's Jesus that reaches out to her. She's just there like she normally is. It's Jesus that takes the initiative. The woman doesn't reach out for Jesus. Jesus noticed her and responded to her. But he did it on the Sabbath. And the synagogue leader gets all indignant. How dare you break my rules? I've got this perfect little synagogue going on. It's all sorted. You're turning my world upside down. Just for a minute, let's look at uh, the Sabbath as we look at this word together. The Sabbath is a word, it's a Hebrew word. Actually, uh, the Hebrew word uh, sabhath, I've done a little bit of study this week, means to decease. Desist, sorry. Cease, rest. We first, of course, know that it came up right at the very beginning in Genesis. Genesis 2, just at the end of all creation, when God ceased from the work of of creation on the seventh day. We also know, of course, that it features in the Ten Commandments as given to us um, in Exodus 20, where we're introduced to the idea of rest. The implication of the teaching here is that there is more to life than work. Rest, not in activity, by the way, but rest is the goal of life. And in Exodus 31, this commandment is elaborated with the addition of the explanation that the observance of the Sabbath is a sign of being part of God's promise, part of his covenant. Yet further in the Levitical laws and in Leviticus 25, we pick up on the uh, the Sabbath or sabbatical year. That's an extension of the idea of the seventh, one in seven days. We have this one in seven years where the whole Year, the land is given over and left for the poor. It's the idea that the Israelites lived unto God and God cared for the poor and it was (coughs) important to give this seventh back to the poor. So in the Old Testament, observing the Sabbath was intended to show the Israelites that there was more to life than work and money. The way they live as... uh, They were to live as God's people in his promise and that the land was given them to use in God's way. Whenever the Sabbath is mentioned in the New Testament, it's frequently in connection with the Pharisees who, of course, had gone to extreme lengths to um, identify what counted as work so they could be sure that they nor anybody else broke those Old Testament rules. They'd legalized it. The basic principles were lost. And they'd created a religion out of it. Sometimes we even get a little confused about the Sabbath ourselves. When I was a younger Christian and growing up, it must have been in the 80s, it was the time when the Sunday trading laws came about. To be quite honest, I couldn't work out what all the fuss was about. And there is clearly some principles that we need to be aware of and some principles that we need to deal with. I'm not going to enter them now, but I would say that it always amazed me that people said, but I've never bought a newspaper on a Sunday. And I used to think, it's the ones on Monday you need not buy. Because they're written on Sunday and printed on Sunday. It's a lot of work on a Sunday. <laughs> but we get all het up about it. We get all het up about Sundays. Jesus normally observed the Sabbath, going to the synagogue services. uh, We see that several times in Luke. However, he did not accept the restrictions that were put on by the Pharisees. On the contrary, he emphasized the underlying purpose of the Sabbath by doing the work of God on the Sabbath. Sabbath observance was not a matter of legal restrictions, but of joyful freedom. There is more to life than work and making money. And as it says in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I have a certain level of sympathy for the synagogue leader. Uh, we can fall into the same traps ourselves the point is we need to find time to stop what we're doing and reflect on God we need to stop focusing on money and wealth and we need to understand where the real wealth comes from we all like this woman need a touch from Jesus we are all broken before God <coughs> She would have come in, and everyone else in the temple would have probably tried to avoid eye contact with her. She, in their opinion, wasn't even worthy to be there. But we are all worthy before God. We can all have a place at the table, so long as we don't leave it too late. This passage also reflecting on it, it says, we shouldn't let prejudice, either our own or those of society, get in the way of ministry. Jesus got hands-on with this lady. He saw her, he called her forward, and he placed his hands on her. How can we explain the narrow minded reaction of the synagogue ruler? Well perhaps he was jealous or fearful, just wanted to be in control. We can only guess. But we do know that any time we allow the form of godlessness to become more important than loving our neighbour, so our form of godliness to be our form of godliness to be more important than loving our neighbour then we are not following Jesus. If we respond as Jesus did, no matter how small, we can make a difference. Size doesn't matter. What matters is impact. Which brings us on to these opportunities that Jesus saw when he suddenly got the crowd's attention on that particular Sabbath morning. Jesus steals the moment. He's just beaten the religious establishment and delighted the crowd, and they're ready to hear. So he shares what is important to Jesus. What is the kingdom of God like? And he shares three different stories, all that talk about the size, the smallness, in regards to the kingdom of God. So firstly, we have the mustard seed and the yeast. I don't know how many of you are good gardeners. I certainly am not a good gardener. If you admit to being a good gardener, you're not coming to see my garden. In my garden, we have a lot of growth. I think it's called ground elder. It's one of our delightful plants that we're trying to eradicate seems to get everywhere. Well, mustard seed is very much like that. Mustard, in Jesus' day, would have been pretty much uncultivated. It wouldn't have been used in any real way. Actually, it was the smallest and most insignificant seed that would grow into the largest and most rampant weed. It would grow really fast. I Think Japanese knotweed or whatever it is that you frustrates you in your garden. Big enough, in this case, to perch a bird in its branches. They would have understood in, the, in those days that, yep, you plant a mustard seed in the garden, you're never going to get rid of it. Seems insignificant, but it takes hold. Yeast. We have a, one of those bread maker things at home. Every other day, roughly, we bake a loaf of bread. Lots of ingredients go in, and we push the button. About three hours later, hot, steaming, nice loaf of bread. Wonderful. Unless you forget the yeast. The yeast seems to be, it's the last thing you put in. It seems to be the most insignificant ingredient. It's just a mere teaspoon. You've put in all this flour, all this water, all these other ingredients that go to give this energy. But if you forget yeast... You do not get a nice steaming loaf of bread. You get a doorstop. Believe me, we've done it. It's small. It looks <coughs> insignificant, but it makes a real difference. How often do you feel insignificant? All alone and in a minority. Jesus indicates here that is exactly how it will be. Many who seek to enter by the narrow door will be turned away. Instead, Jesus will be looking out for those who know him and are known by him. What small things in your life will help you grow in your knowledge of Jesus? Well, it will be the small, perhaps, secret times of prayer and study. Those acts of kindness and care that nobody sees. Let's remember that as we devote ourselves to living, to demonstrate the kingdom of God. We will know the growth and influence that only God can bring through the little things that we do. You see, size doesn't matter. I'm astounded when I meet um, particularly church leaders, when they ask, you get into a conversation and it's a bit like um, when, you, when you're talking to other church leaders, we get into this default of conversation we end up talking about our churches and the first thing they ask is how big is your church i have no idea why why do we do that and we sit there going well yeah if you count the children and you what does it matter size doesn't matter impact matters It seems that we live in a world where big things are considered to be the most important. We talk about how many people come to a church or a particular event. We seem to think that size really counts. But Jesus turns that upside down. In these two parables, what matters is not size, but impact. Mustard seed and yeast might be small, but they make a massive difference to the environment that they're put in, far beyond their size. And the kingdom of God is not like the world. So, out of this teaching, what should we take away from it? Well, let me ask you this question: Who do you trust? Jesus? Do you? I don't know, maybe you find yourself a bit like the woman in this passage, crippled. Maybe you've been coming to church for 18 years and you haven't had that touch. Only you know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Only you know what it is that's binding you from a true and living relationship with Jesus? Who do you trust? (coughs) And then I'd ask this question. And this is all about us getting a little bit religious sometimes. Sometimes in church, we do stuff because we invented the rules. We completely forget what it is that we're here for. Why are we doing it? For what purpose? It's a good principle to ask that question often, so not to be trapped into dead religion. Let me give you some examples of what dead religion looks like. You see, one of the most effective tools that Satan has to keep people away from a relationship with the true living God is dead religion. And believe me, it happens in churches up and down this land. It's happening here. There will be dead wood. There will be dead religion going on at Abbey Church. Big shock. Dead religion binds us by rules and doesn't free us from our long-term problems. Only Jesus can free us from our long-term problems. Dead religion lacks compassion for hurting people. Jesus reaches out to the hurting. Dead religion is hypocritical. Jesus is truthful and genuine. Dead religion is joyless and angry. But with the Lord Jesus, we can be full of joy. I was coming through Passport Control at Heathrow on Wednesday. I don't know if you've done that recently. They've got these amazing machines. So you, you get to Passport Control, and because you're trying to get through to get to your bus, to get to the next stage of your journey, and you, you get presented with the snake, the longest possible line that goes backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And... I've got into the habit of trying to work out what is the best way to do this route? Is it this way? Is it that way? Can I I look ahead and see where the queue is moving the furthest? Because you get to the end of this snake and eventually it splits into several different rows and you have to stand up behind on the the little green button uh, just behind the person in front of you and then you get to step forward and the machine scans you and then because I'm tall, it readjusts and scans me again because it's kind of scanned this bit and not that bit and it recognises hopefully who you are and lets you through. As I got to the end of the snake, I inadvertently jumped the queue. I was ready. I got towards the end of the snake, and yet yeah, there's some spaces in rows five and six. I'm going to aim there. And I was on a mission to get to rows five or six, and there was a lady in front of me, and she stopped. And I just carried on. I think she was stopping to be you know, told what to do next, and... Actually, the, you know, the, the mission is to just get moving. There's hundreds of people behind us. Just keep moving, keep moving. Did she take it out on me? <laughs> I mean, the whole of passport control went silent, except for this woman, who wouldn't stop going on about how rude I had been. Meanwhile, I'm now in all six going, I can't move because this thing's scanning me, so I can't answer your accusation. And then, of course, the machine has to adjust because I'm taller, so she gets through quicker. What <laughs> huh, serves you right? <laughs> she had not had her Wheat of that morning. I don't know. <laughs> what, why am I telling you this? <laughs> she was angry. And I thought, what is it that's going on in your head? Everybody else is just doing their thing and getting through passport control. But we can be a bit like that sometimes in church. Sometimes somebody steps in front of us at the queue. It might not actually be the coffee queue. It might be, you know, somebody somehow gets ahead of us and gets, seems to get the attention of the elders. I don't know, and, and why am I overlooked? And we get so frustrated by it. And why is it not happening the way I want it to happen? and we get all knotted up inside. That's religion. If we get our priorities right, if we focus on what we should be focusing on, that's when we find joy. You see, dead religion promotes the wrong priorities. (coughs) If we um, just for a minute reflect back on the Sabbath observance in the Bible it raises some important questions for us, even in the 21st century. Have we got our priorities right? Do we show by our lifestyle and work and money that work and money are not at all important? Have we devised our own rules for the Sabbath? Are we critical of those that break them? What is the legitimate place for leisure in our lives? Does our lifestyle reflect Jesus' priorities? You see, he turns it upside down. Or should I say, he turns it the right way up. With Jesus, all are welcome. All can be free. All things are possible in the kingdom, his kingdom. We all need his gospel, and that should be our focus. Nothing should get away of the gospel or our mission to preach that good news to those around us. That is the priority. That is what's most important. That is why when Jesus had this altercation with the synagogue leader, and he caught the attention of the crowd, maybe in passport control I should have turned around and said, none of that's important. Let me tell you what's important. What's important is God's kingdom. What's important is understanding how we fit within that. What is important is knowing that we're welcome. And you recognize these things because this is the end of the sermon because we read the last page first. But let me leave you with these last thoughts. This miracle isn't recorded here so that we can come to church and say, well, that was interesting, and go home the way that we were. It's here to make ourselves ask, what side am I on? Am I just going through the motions of dead religion? Or do I have a reality with the living Lord Jesus Christ? Do I need a touch from Jesus this morning? Do I need him to beckon me over? Do I need to admit before him the issues that are going on that are causing me to not have joy in the living Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we create our own worlds, when we create what we think is the right thing, when we get ourselves all comfortable, and Lord, we ignore your priorities. Lord, I don't know what it might be in individuals' lives here, Lord, but I just pray that as we continue in the service and as we sing some songs and praise to you, that you will speak into our individual hearts, Lord. Lord, that you will call us across and you will give us that touch on this Sabbath day. In Jesus' name. Amen.